It looked as though it would never happen. Sunait Shakir is listening to Massimiliano Irati and it's been disallowed. Pain, heartbreak, disappointment. Anthony Lopez gets a hold of the ball and that is going to be enough to get Leon over the finish line. It's the full-time whistle. Season after season. The full-time whistle. Chelsea have won the Champions League. Year after year. And then... Bernardo Silva, tight angle, pulls it back. Coming on to it now to shoot it. Manchester City lead in the Champions League final. The third trophy in a treble. And they've done it! They've done it! Manchester City have done it! And a first Champions League title. Time to do it all again. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club and this is your show. They always say don't judge a book by its cover. Well, don't judge a football season by its first seven months. None of us, or very few of us at least, expected that Manchester City would go on to achieve what they did last May. So those are perhaps words to keep in mind as we head into the new campaign. Has the transfer window gone as well as you'd have hoped so far? Does it seem like the preparations for the coming season have been as good as they could be? Maybe yes, maybe no. Either way, let's not be so quick to judge. We'll be reviewing everything that's happened on the tour on today's Blue Moon podcast and gearing up for this weekend's community Shield. We'll also be discussing how Pep Guardiola keeps his players hungry after everything they've achieved. The Athletic Sam Lee has been speaking to the players during pre-season to find out. We'll also hear from the 1894 group and the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group about this weekend's boycott of the trip to Wembley later in the show. So let's get to it. I'm David Mooney and back for the first episode of our 15th season, we've got City fan Chris Higginbottom. Hello. And One Football's Dan Burke. Hello David, great to be back. Good to be back. Uh, good summer. Uh, I mean, weather-wise, it's not been much of a summer, but um, yeah, it's been a nice little break from from the football. But I'm uh, raring to go again now, certainly. Good, Chris. How, how's your summer been? It's uh, I guess it's easy when you've just won a treble. Yeah, I felt a bit. I felt a bit weird, but like um, but like a hangover after like a massive party, uh, <laughs> and then you sort of blurrily looking around and uh, people have left, like Gundogan and. I'm never going to see them again. I'm going to admit he's took the uh, he's took the vase, but no, it's 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 been a bit weird. It's been a bit surreal. And um, 15th season of the podcast, yeah. So that was since 2008 when we were formed. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Not not quite 2009. I jumped on the bandwagon. Oh, all right, fair enough. But but yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been going on for a while. It's it's weird because. You know what, Dan? I don't know if I expected I would have a summer where City had, had won pretty much everything when I started the podcast, even though like we knew the takeover had happened and we knew that that they were starting to make serious investment. Um, I, I still think City have managed to surpass my expectations. Does that make sense? <laughs> I, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, you say pretty much everything. 
we haven't won everything though, have we? That's the thing. That's the challenge now to come back and, and try and win it all. Try and win the quadruple, quadruple plus maybe this season. Um, but no, yeah, like I know new game you mean- plus on a on a video game when you start with all <laughs> what you've. So like we only have to win the league cup this season. Then we like we we've kept everything from last year. Well, I think Liverpool tried to pull that one, didn't they? When they uh, <laughs> they won the the Premier League title and then the following season they won a few more trophies and tried to sort of group them all in together. Like no, it doesn't work like that, lads. It's, uh, it's a completely different season. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Like it, you know the, the treble was something that I never expected I would see as a City fan and something that I haven't really expected to see even in this this glorious new era where we've spent lots of money and had all these brilliant players. It still felt like the crowning achievement of uh, of everything really. So, you know, I, I've been in this kind of like weird sort of fugue state since the end of last season where I was just sort of basking in the, the, the glory of the treble for so long that I almost wasn't able to snap myself out of it and haven't been able to snap myself out of it. And I'm wondering when I'm going to snap out of it, is it going to take a, a defeat to kind of hammer it home, bring me back down to earth or something like that? Or will I be kicking every ball when the uh, when the Community Shield kicks off this weekend? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Has it changed things for you, Chris? Has it changed kind of how you feel about City and, and football in that you've now seen, like, I, I know we're making light of grouping all the trophies together, but you've now seen City lift every single major trophy that they can lift. Well, I suppose there is a danger of that sort of completed it, mate, uh, mentality. Uh, it's like, well, I'll go and follow somebody else now, shall I? Or pick a different <laughs> sport. But no, it's not not that at all. Um, I am raring to go. Um, the same as if we'd got relegated and we were absolutely terrible. I wouldn't be thinking of anything other than, you know, picking the baton back up and go going again. at it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, let's start with a couple of questions from uh, Twitter or X, as it's now known. Um, George says, uh, how are the expectations going into the new season, knowing that we possibly just had the best ever season? And are you as excited as you were for the previous season? In what ways could this season top the last? Um, along the same lines, Mike says, uh, following a very successful season, what should our expectation levels be for a successful season this time around? What should we expect from Harland, given his individual achievement last season as well? Um, and I, I, I'm kind of interested in where you two have set your expectation levels for this year. Um, Chris, what what are you hoping for? What are you hoping to see? Um Stay in the league. <laughs> well, you laugh, but you don't know what's uh, what's around the corner with all these uh, allegations. Mind you, that'll take a few years, won't it? But no, in all seriousness, um, I want us to win the league. That's that's always my priority because yeah. there's certain clubs that we're still clawing away at in terms of uh, playing catch-up. So that's my number one priority. Literally anything else is a bonus, really. I mean, even if we don't win the league, it's not necessarily like if we win, if we don't win the league and win some other trophies, that's all right. But uh, what I want is the league again. Um, if we win the Champions League again, great. But as I was saying, as I say every season, it's all about the it's all about the league for me because that's the true test of uh, of a squad. Yeah, and Dan, does it does it change things that no team has ever won the English top flight four times in a row, and City have the chance? <laughs> I mean, imagine the head loss if we do that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. going to be off the scale, isn't it? Um, Especially you know, with we've... no signings or two signings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm the same as Chris. You know, the Premier League is the bread and butter. It's the one I always want to go for. It's the one that defines whether City have had a good season or not for me. And I think you know. I could even imagine a situation one day where we win the Champions League and nothing else. And you say, yeah, but it wasn't actually a great season, was it? You know, we've not won the league title. We weren't the best team in in our own league. So, you know, you you can't really consider it an ideal season there. Having said that, you know, like I said, I I am still 
you know, thinking about last season a little bit and and not expecting the players necessarily to to deliver anything like that anytime soon again. Um, I'm I think it diff- expectations differ between fan to fan, don't they? And I'm I'm the sort of fan where I don't really need City to win the league every year for me to s- still love the club and appreciate the players and appreciate the manager. You know, I think it's it's a tough league to win and that's what gets forgotten a little bit uh, when outsiders talk about City is that it's been, what we've achieved has been really, really difficult to do and I can't imagine them doing that year and year and year again. Perhaps that's just me. That's kind of my mentality. I think one of the many reasons that I never made it as a professional footballer was I just don't have the hunger and the mentality (laughs) to keep winning like these players do, like this manager does. So, you know, they're very much going to be wanting to win everything on offer this season. They're going to try their best to do everything. For me, if they don't win anything given what happened last season it's not the end of the world but if as a minimum they win the Premier League then I think we can say we've had a great season yeah Chris there's there's almost a a, a weird way to reflect on last season because as like from a trophy hall point of view it's incredible City won all you know they, they won the treble they won uh, the Champions League for the first time uh, there's uh, in terms of a football point of view though and the way that they played up to kind of March April time I'm I'm starting to wonder if like if if there's that there's kind of a disconnect between City's best ever team, which I don't think last season was, and the success that it it gets. And it's like I, I'm kind of wondering there when you set your expectation level at the start of the season, if it's it, like if we're now kind of transcending the, uh, the 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 sort of what trophies do you want City to win into how do you want City to play? If that makes sense, like you think of that hundred point season, that's I think that's the best City team I've ever seen. And it probably didn't win what it deserved to win. Yeah, I, I think I know what you mean. Um, it's a long old question, that means. Yeah, I am talking absolute <laughs> bollocks. I, I accept that. <laughs> it's not... I thought it was just me. Um, no, no. I, it's Last season was weird in a, a few ways. Um, the way we won the Champions League, you could argue that you know we've played a lot better in that competition and been horrendously unlucky um, and not won it. Um, there were some moments in the final even where there were some wild um, missed chances. Yeah, stroke a look here and there, yeah. Looking at you, uh, Romelu. Um, (laughs) And some great saves. And, you know, the previous seasons, those kind of things have gone against us. No, you need need a bit of luck to win a cup cup competition. And, you know, that, that certainly came to our aid there. The league as well, like Arsenal, last season was a bit weird in terms of Arsenal because they were playing so well and they, they fell away so dramatically that if they hadn't have done that, I mean, it wasn't really any... That wasn't our doing, was it? That was Arsenal falling yeah. away more than us um, picking up, although that obviously galvanised us psychologically. It gave us a lift and we just became that ruthless juggernaut that we kind of are all, all so familiar with. But it was just weird how, how that happened. So, yeah, it, it's definitely... Um, just trying to remember the start of the actual question. Yeah, that, uh, that question I asked 25 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, well, he started it 25 minutes yeah. ago. He finished it about 22 <laughs> minutes ago. But like, yeah, definitely not the best team that we've seen in terms of flowing football um, and, you know, uh, the way the way we class a great football team. But it, the best team in terms of mentality and... I think that's been proved. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a blend of the two, isn't it? It's about balance and uh, we've we managed to just, just about get it right because if you haven't got the the mentality, then you don't win the amount of trophies that we won. It's all very well um, 
playing lovely football. But you need that you need that grit, that determination, like I say, a bit of luck. Yeah, I'm glad you answered that question in that way because um, you know I, I'm still very much get, getting back on the uh, back on the horse and back in the saddle for the podcast this season because that was a fucking woeful question that I asked. <laughs> no, not but, at all. Uh, I didn't mean to. Uh, but, but you gave the answer. You gave the answer that I wanted. So that you know, it's 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 all worked out all right in the end. Don't um, worry, Moody. By November, December time, you'll have really hit your stride. And yeah, you'll, yeah. You'll, you'll be, you'll be <laughs> fine tuning those questions. They'll be streamlined beautifully. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> I, it's, it's almost like there could be a metaphor in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, podcast will be uh, rubbish by Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mike also asked about Haaland. Um, what 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 can we expect from Haaland this season? Because last season was you know it was it was phenomenal. Basically, he was he was new to the league. We always talk about Guardiola's team and signings needing a year to bed in. If that was his year bedding in, then fuck me. What's he going to do this year? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. I feel like a complete, and you feel free to call me one, a contrarian sort of dickhead for saying this, but I don't think Haaland was that great last season at times. <laughs> and I know the goal scoring record is inarguable and it was phenomenal. You know, 52 goals is is fantastic. But there were times to me when I thought, you're a bit crap, actually. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was just some of his link-up play wasn't very good. Some of his touches were poor. Some of the, you know, he snatched at chances occasionally and then would go on and score four goals and, and, you know, make a mockery of it. But I think there's a lot more to come from him. And I think that's a really, you know, good thing for us as fans and as a club that, you know, this guy who's, who's got this unbelievable scoring ability still has plenty to add to his game and could still... You know, bedding a lot better with with the players around him and link up with them, and I I just want to see a bit more of that. You know, I remember the Arsenal home game. I thought he was really good linking up with De Bruyne. You know, he, he assisted the first goal and uh, had a few other nice moments like that. I'd like to see a lot more of that from Haaland. A lot, a lot more. You know, a bit more, a few more assists to his game and that kind of thing. I think I think there is there's plenty of room for improvement there. Yeah, and you know, God help the rest of the league if he does get better because. Yeah, and he and he stays fit, of course, because that was something that I think we we took for granted a little bit last season, having had concerns about his fitness at the start of the season. I think you know him and the club work really, really hard on uh, making sure that he's you know doing everything he can to stay fit and and be the best he can be. Um, I just hope that you know he, he doesn't have an injury sort of waiting for him down the line that hampers his progress a little bit. Because if he keeps being available every week and, and putting in these kind of performances and scoring these goals and and, and improving, then yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Chris, I don't you want to spend. Contrary. <laughs> uh, Chris, I don't want to spend too long on uh, the preseason tour because uh, there's only so much you can read into what is effectively a commercial exercise. Um, in good because uh, I didn't uh, watch any of it. Well, I was going to say, what what are your thoughts, uh, kind of going into into the season from it? Because like what we hear from it is that commercially it was a great success. There were full stadiums. There was a buzz everywhere. City went. Um, training wise wasn't great. You know, the Guardiola was talking about how it was too play- too warm for the players to actually train properly and, and get into into into, into shape. Um, and then the games themselves, the performances, solid but not spectacular. And I kind of I guess that's what you expect in in the conditions. Yeah, I think it's what you expect in the when you, in the conditions in terms of the climate or yeah, the yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose yeah, and also pre-season you're not going to be uh there's there's kind of a you don't want to overexert. you want to get your fitness you want to play well you want to prove that you're capable of staying in the team but you don't want to get injured so you play within yourself slightly i would suggest um the commercial thing scary frankly i mean i haven't watched didn't watch the games live i've watched um the highlights of of all of them um i do i do try to kind of decompress especially after the season like that one we've just had and get away from all things football and devote a bit more time to other areas um, for that brief window. 
that it allows us. But the, the commercial success just looks absolutely mental. Like the amount of fans that turned up in Korea and Japan, it's like, whoa. Um, yeah, it's unheard of. Yeah. I don't know how, how many of those would stick around uh, if we were to be, you know, if we are... If we fell as uh, <laughs> dramatically as, as we've risen, but that, that hopefully doesn't need uh, proving. Um, what's that's the it. Bring, the bring, the mood, bring the mood down, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. but, how um, how yeah. many of them were at York? That's the question. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But in terms of like for the start of the season and how, how it makes me feel, it seems to have gone all right. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, I have only wants the highlights. They seem like a team that um, knows how to win even when they're not playing well. So that's positive, even though we lost that last game. Yeah. Um, The other aspects of pre-season, Dan, is it's always an opportunity to have a look at some of the younger players that have uh, kind of returned from loan, that might be coming through the ranks, that sort of thing. Um, Three names have kind of stood out from from City fans that watched the the tour. Uh, James McAtee scored. He was quite lively. Rico Lewis looked, well, he looked at home in the first team as he has done since he's arrived. And Oscar Bob made a bit of an impression as well. Yeah, with Rico Lewis, I was really impressed by what I saw against him. I thought against Bayern Munich, he just ran the game and was the best player on the pitch with all those seasoned internationals around him. He just looked so comfortable and so at home. And he's playing in a, you know, a slightly more attacking role than we're used to, which you know, I've read some talk that maybe uh, maybe Pep is thinking about using him in that kind of position in, in competitive games in future, which is interesting. And I think he uh, he definitely has the attributes for that. He's you know just a very technically gifted player, knows exactly what's going on all around him as we all saw last season. So really looking forward to seeing him step up this season, how he, he can develop. Um, regarding the other two, McAtee and Bob, like, you know, I, I don't want to shit on young players at all, but I think there is a bit of a danger of overhyping young players when they haven't done an awful lot. And I think we're kind of dancing on that line as City fans a little bit at the moment with these two. From what I've seen of McAtee for City, I know we did well for Sheffield United last season, he doesn't quite look ready to me yet. He looks like he would maybe benefit from another loan or, you know, will be used very sparingly this season. Maybe he'll he'll come off the bench in the Carabao Cup or something like that. You know, I've also seen people saying that we don't need to sign a re- replacement for Mares. We've got Oscar Bob. Again, I'm sure he's got a great future ahead of him. Hopefully that future is with City. And I know he was the star of the club's uh, Premier League 2 team last season and all that. I just don't think he looks quite there yet. I think we've got to be careful about um, expecting too much too soon from the from these young lads. And, you know, Cole Palmer's, I think this time last year, a lot of people were talking about him really kicking on and, and having a great season and it just didn't really happen. So, yeah. yeah, I think there's definitely potential there for sure. I just wouldn't expect great things from them anytime soon. Yeah, uh, and that kind of brings us to the transfer window, Chris, because, um, I mean, so far, uh, Gundogan and Mahrez gone, uh, Kovacic in with, at the time of recording, it's looking like Guardiola will join as well. Um, uh, potentially, I think that's been confirmed, hasn't has it? it? Has it been confirmed in the time that we've been recording? I've not seen. Oh, right, in the time that no, we've been it's recording. No, it's not official. Is it not, it's still not a done deal? Jeez. No, not quite. Um, nice. But it's it, it's looking like it's going to be there soon. And by the time people hear this, it might well have happened. Um, and at the same time, you know, Cancelo could be leaving. Walker could be leaving. Laporte could be leaving. Bernardo, possibly, but probably staying put. Um like it feels like there is a lot more outgoing than incoming, and does that make you feel a little bit nervous? A little bit. That's understating it. I, I'm, um, yeah, cacking it a bit. It's like the weirdest transfer window ever. I kind of understand um, players having won what we won last season, 
seeking a fresh challenge. You know, some of them are at the stage in their lives where it makes perfect sense there to move to maybe a, a different culture, a warmer climate, a, another big club, a fresh challenge. But I don't know, from our point of view, it's like you can't really afford to hemorrhage all of this influence in the dressing room and on the pitch experience and mentality and basically everything the, the, the such big components in the whole um, in terms of what makes us what we are that to lose what we've lost or and certainly what we look like we might be losing it would be it's going to be an absolutely crazy uh, success if we do well this season and lose Walker, Mares. Uh, I'm not going to say Cancelo because he was kind of a bit of a player. He was gone already last season. Yeah. Wasn't he? But Gundogan, um, if Bernardo goes, Laporte, I don't understand why he's going, why we're looking to sign someone in his position. It's weird. Um, I mean, I understand from his point of view, I just don't understand why he's not playing more. It's just the whole thing is in such a state of flux and we're really near the start of the season that even if we you know, do bring them in, there's no time to bed anyone in. It could take time for them to gel. I mean, these theoretical people that, that haven't signed. The fact is, we don't know who we're replacing, so how can we sign anyone? It's all just a little bit too strung out, and mm. I am a bit strung out as a result. At least you're not panicking, though. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Did um, that sound panic? That was the cal- <laughs> I thought you'd be being really calm. This is really like measured. That nobody will see how panicked you are. Yeah, right, I could, we could hear the hyperventilating on the on this side. That yeah, was it's, so. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's squeaky, squeaky bum time, and the season's not even started. Get a dollop of City Nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Dan, we mentioned Bernardo and um, I said uh, possibly leaving, but probably staying. Uh, you kind of get the impression that that the window for him to leave is closing again very quickly, isn't it? It feels like this guy's going to be here till the end of recorded time. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, to me, it's one of the biggest mysteries in football that no one's coming and snapped him up yet. Um, you know, in the past three years, basically, he's, he's been available for transfer at a pretty reasonable price, I would say, and nobody's come in for him. I think he's perhaps made it a little bit difficult for himself in that it seems that he's only really interested in joining Barcelona or Real Madrid, and neither of those have either had the money or the need for him. So it's kind of limited his options quite significantly. There's a lot of talk about PSG. You know, the rumour is that they, they made an offer of 60 million euros, which City said is, was not enough, and it is not enough. You know, that would be a bargain for him, I think. Um, so I don't know what they were trying to pull there. And if he stays, I have no doubt that he'll do what he does every single year and knuckle down and be absolutely brilliant and be a leader in the dressing room and yeah. a super player on the pitch. You know, you do don't you, have to worry about that with Bernardo at all, do you? Do you think he'll stay? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, just because I don't think anyone's going to come in for him at this point. And, you know, I, I would have I would have been a bit annoyed with him if he'd gone to PSG actually, because to me that doesn't seem like, you know, Paris isn't even that nice, really, like as a city. <laughs> it's probably slightly nicer than Manchester, but like, you know, weather-wise and stuff, it's not that much better. Uh, he's played in France already. You know, there was the Saudi Arabia links at some point as well, which, you know, I don't, I try not to judge players too harshly for, for taking that money. Um, but that would have been, again, like, you know, he's way too good to play at that level and he's way too good to play in league earn, I think. So I think for, for him and for us, it'll be really positive if he, if he stays. And, uh, you know, this, there's always going to be some chat until the last second of the transfer window about Barcelona pulling 80 million euros down the back of the sofa and paying for him. But I just, I just don't see it happening at this point. Yeah. Who would we replace him with? I mean, he offers so much. 
you need to sign two players. He, he would be irreplaceable, him. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, does that make you feel better, though, Chris? That it's that it feels like that he'll stay. Well, no, no is the answer then, is it? <laughs> it's still it's still uncertain, isn't it? And, and if we start the first league game and he's still with us, then uh, yeah, I'll breathe a little easier. Yeah. Just to, just to push back on that a bit, though, though, like we've lost Gundogan, which is a big loss on the pitch and off the pitch, of course. And I do, I do think Kovacic is, is a downgrade on him, but he is a very good player. And, it, you know, it might take a little while for him to bed in. I don't think it's a like-for-like swap anyway. but Not yeah, really, but- no. Mara's leaving is a loss, but it was a bit of a kind of shrug of the shoulders for me personally. So how have has the upheaval been that much? I know Walker going as well, but he wasn't playing that much. I feel like we've kept the, the sort of core group together, really. Mm. I think a couple of push Foden into the sort of uh, void left by Gundogan as he kind of matures and becomes yet more capable of, you know, doing doing different things in different roles. Mm. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm being um, overly pessimistic. It's the worst case scenario that I'm scared of, that we lose Walker and we also lose uh, Bernardo. Well, the the little rant I went on earlier, I'm not going to do it again, but it's just, <laughs> that is that is why I'm worried. And until that is sealed as not happening, then it will continue to uh, chip away at me a little. How many more players do we need, do you think, at this point? <sighs> well... I think we could do with a winger just in terms of an outlet to switch up in games. Um, just having, but again, then you got Foden can play so many roles. And I don't know. How many have we lost? We've lost Gundogan. We've lost, well, effectively, we've lost, we've lost Cancelo already. Um, Gundogan, Maris, and Walker, isn't it, are the main yeah, ones? Yeah. yeah, Walker's going to be very difficult to replace. Laporte's been know. replaced by Guardiola, essentially. So. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I, maybe I am being over... This is, this is good therapy, guys. <laughs> I appreciate it. Maybe it's uh, not j- as bad as all that. Just to push back on that a little bit, Dan. <laughs> um, <laughs> pushing back on the pushing back. back now, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my, I mean, my concern is... Um, just a couple of injuries. I thought one of the things that that goes under the radar a little bit from City last season is that they got quite lucky with the fitness of the players throughout mm. the entire season. If they, you know, they're going to start without De Bruyne. Um, if they, all it takes is is in the next couple of weeks, if Foden and Bernardo get a knock and they're not available, then you suddenly you're already on the bare bones, and it just feels like you don't want to just get players in for the sake of getting players in. They've got to be the right fit, but at the same time, like. You're kind of walking on eggshells a little bit with uh, with injuries, aren't you? Yeah, I think that's always going to be the case with Pep, though, because he likes a small squad and he, he doesn't like to disappoint people. So he, he doesn't like the idea of just bringing players in for the sake of it, like you say, just having sort of meat in the room for, for, for a rainy day. Like he'd rather just, you know, put a young player in. And I do wonder as well if the lack of injuries is, is luck or is that by design? Is it, a, you know, the training methods, the way that they prepare the players nutritionally and stuff like that, whether actually we're just doing a really good job to keep yeah. these players fit all the time and, and actually it's shot. not something we have to worry about too much. I hope that's the case anyway. God, that's a brilliant pushback to my pushback to that pushback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just one more thing. I like the idea of this Michael Elise signing from Crystal Palace. That's like, mm. you know, nice 35 million or whatever it would be, something like that. Nice young young player to develop. Um, that's the sort of player that I'd like to see as target. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see how that goes. Um, there's there's also the question of the players that are there already because it's only eight weeks ago that City were crowned winners of the Champions League, completing a historic treble. Uh, we've seen before how difficult it is getting a winning team up for the challenge of defending their titles, but it's not really a problem that tends to bother Pep Guardiola. The Athletic Sam Lee has been covering the pre-season tour. He's been looking into what the manager has been doing to keep the players hungry for more. 
City had an incredible end to last season. Coronation year! Manchester City, the kings of English football again! Manchester City, FA Cup winners, Manchester City, double winners, and as all the players have been saying, now one more. And Ilkay Gundogan raises this famous old trophy high. Manchester City, the European champions, history-making treble winners. They've reached the promised land. What a night, what a season. Congratulations to Manchester City. After winning the Champions League and completing the treble, Pep Guardiola has won every major honour he could possibly win at City. And it was put to Ruben Diaz this summer that they've actually achieved everything they possibly could do. Yeah, no, but I think... For you to think that, oh, that's all to achieve, you need to be small-minded or not very ambitious. The centre-back, perhaps unsurprisingly, says there's still plenty more that the team can do. Even if I was to have everything, it's still not done because I've done it once. I can always do it twice or three times or four times. And I think for, for the kind of purpose I've set myself to, uh, that's, that's the way I want to go. Uh, it's not about, oh yes, I've won the Champions League, yeah, now I can just hang my boots and that's it. No, I want to I wanna make sure that my numbers will be good enough for me to be remembered for a while. That attitude is what Guardiola will want to see across the squad because it could be understandable if the levels drop this season. I spoke to Nathan Ake about why that doesn't normally happen at City though. The manager already you know, picked up on that. Um, you know, he doesn't want anyone slipping up or you know, being too casual. Um, so we know what we have to do, you know, everyone uh, wants the hunters down, I think that's normal. So yeah, now it's about us, how can we do the same again and I think everyone is ready. We saw already the last few days in training, everyone still runs his heart. Um, so I think that's a positive and I think the next few games will be good to, to get our rhythm back and then from then we, we start to go again and I'm sure everyone is as hungry as before. He says that attitude runs through everybody at the club. The club, I think, hires people the demand that of each other, who has all got the same mentality. I'm not just talking about players, but also about uh, what I said before, the officials, the staff, um, everyone, you know, keeps making sure we're on our toes and not just slacking off and all little rules and stuff they, they keep in, in place and make sure we, we do the same as we do before. The defender also gave one very specific example of the sort of thing that Guardiola picks the squad up on during pre-season. It's little things in, in training, you know, yesterday we, we spoke about tracking back, you know, um, when maybe sometimes when, when things are, you know, when you're good and things are nice, maybe always good on the ball, but when we have to defend and then everyone has to run back, maybe, you know, it's not with the same intensity. Little things like this, the manager really picks picks it up and, you know, says it straight away, like, we, we can't do that, we can't drop that, that mentality because all over the years when we are pressing teams, we come with the energy and we don't let teams breathe and stuff. If we drop that, then, yeah, you drop the, the levels. Players often talk about how hard pre-season can be. With training focused on getting the squad fit and sharp for the new season, and with Guardiola also making sure they are mentally prepared, those sessions could be vital in keeping the levels up. The makeup of the squad itself is important to maintaining high standards too. Here's Diaz again. Sometimes more than going for a player is to know what kind of player you're going for. Uh, because since I arrived at the club, I had the feeling that normally you go for players, yeah, they're very good, they've got this specific quality. They're a dribbler, they're a winger, fast winger, beautiful. They're very good defenders, they're very good midfielders, but I, 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 since the, from the start I had the feeling that this club's higher more than just that quality. This club's higher is depending on personality and what kind of man are you. And in a way I think that's one of the reasons why that lack of ambition is never an issue. Jack Grealish is 
probably one example of what Diaz is talking about there. Have a listen to this from when we spoke to the wing after the 2-1 win against Bayern Munich in Tokyo. I've said to a few of them already, I'm desperate to win the Community Shield. Obviously, I've been here now for... It's my third year, I've played in two finals in the Community Shield and I've lost them both, so... Um, no, I'm desperate, you know, as a footballer, you want to... You want to win everything as much as possible. And Grealish agrees that the personalities in City's dressing room are an important part of the team's success. I seen Ruben say the other day about Kovacic, said something like that we're so close or I couldn't believe how close we are. And listen, we don't just say that for no reason. That is, it's the general truth. Um, we have such a great group here and uh, hopefully, you know, it can continue. At City, under Guardiola, successful seasons have normally followed successful seasons. You have to go back until May 2017 to find a campaign that finished with no silverware, and City have been title winners in five of Guardiola's seven seasons at the club. There's only really one year, the 2019-2020 season, where the levels dropped ever so slightly. Diaz thinks a winning attitude is now ingrained at City. It's not just last season, we've been doing this, and even before me, the club has been at this level for quite a while, so I don't think Ambition will always be a problem uh, because that's the direction the, the club set out to, to go for. It would be very easy to jump to the conclusion that there's nothing left for City to win and that it would be understandable if the players dropped in this coming season. But with Guardiola in charge, the evidence suggests that if anyone is going to get the better of City this season, then they're going to have to work very hard to do it. Hi, this is David Bernstein, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch, let us let you down off it instead. That was the Athletics' Sam Lee looking at how the players have been kept hungry by Pep Guardiola down the years. Um, Chris, there is something to be said about how Guardiola kind of like drills in this mentality into the players of, yeah, what everything you've won, Go and do it again. Yeah, he's, he's got an insatiable hunger, hasn't he? And he manages to instill that in, in his players. Um, the most the most ravenous man in football. <laughs> he really is. Greedy bastard. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, how does he do it? If uh, if the answer was a simple one, then, then everyone would be at it. But, I don't know. He's obviously very demanding. Um, he changes the system all the time, so players are constantly learning and having to ask questions of themselves. And yeah, he he just manages to do it season on season. He, he's he's constantly evolving, isn't he? Like even week to week, we see it. You ask, uh, we often have a laugh on this program and we're asked about what formation do you expect or what what team selection do you expect, and it's always met with uh, you know a bit of a bit of derision because. He's, he's very hard to second guess. And uh, I think it's that, that constant change, that constant state of flux, that constant evolution that, that keeps him hungry and, and helps keep the team hungry as well. Because uh, it must be exciting to play for him, certainly very demanding. And uh, yeah, he just, he just keeps it going and going yeah. and going. Well, now you've said that as well, um, given what we were talking about with transfers before and how nervous you were, does it give you a level of trust that City can have a summer of missing transfer targets or walking away from deals because they, they they don't feel it's, it's value for money and the knowledge that they'll still be okay? Because they've done that year after year after year and year after year after year, Guardiola keeps the squad going, keeps them hungry and they go out and mm. win things again. Yeah, yeah, I should have more faith. Uh, it's hard to, to ditch that... Um, 
old old mentality of uh, doom and gloom, really. Um, maybe I'm just a miserable bastard. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to say but, it myself. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to bring you down, man. Um, but yeah, like we we do walk away when we feel um, it's gone over the point of our, you know, what, where we value a player. Quite a few of our best players are like second, third, fourth choices. Look at look at Diaz. Um, it's yeah, you gotta trust the pro- trust the process. You still get people online slagging off the you know the scouting team and um, the management setup, even Pep at times. Um, but yeah, the the results speak for themselves. So maybe we should uh, shut up and let them get on with it. Yeah. Um, Not very good for podcasts, that though, is it? <laughs> no, we'll just, just put out silence for 20 minutes yeah, at the, yeah. the end of this bit, yeah. Um, uh, Dan, there is something in this as well in terms of mentality of players um, because uh, Diaz was talking about it when he was speaking to Sam there. Chris has just touched on how Diaz was not the first choice centre-back. But all the players they sign, and there are very few that don't hit this criteria, um, nearly all the players they sign are the right profile. They're players who work hard. They have the right mentality. They fit in with the group. It's it's kind of it, it's incredible, really, how City have so many hits. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's uh, it's been well documented. That's something that City scouting network do a lot of work on. Um, you know, profiling those players and and making sure they they're going to be the players that are going to are going to deliver results and have the mentality to do so. And I think by and large, <clears throat> the type of player that we sign doesn't need a lot of extra motivation usually. You know, they've had that fire in their bellies their entire careers, you know, even from being kids playing at amateur level. That's why they've got so far. That's why they've got to the pinnacle of football. And that's what, you know, they, they want to keep winning year and year for professional pride and because, you know, they just want, want to be the best they can they can be and, and will do everything they can. And, you know, I think Erlen Haaland's a good example of that. You know, all the players that talk about him talk about he's doing everything he can to make sure that he can be the best he can possibly be. And we're very lucky that he's going to, uh, he's going to give us some of the best years of his career to us. And I think with, with Pep, you know, the way that he keeps players motivated, well, I think there's a bit of an aura around Pep, isn't there, for a start? Um, I think players come to play for him and he has this reputation of improving players. You know, I think... If we'd signed Harry Maguire, you know, he's one of those players that we, we walked away from a few years ago and has had a mm. pretty dismal career since. I think he his career trajectory would have been completely different if he'd signed for City. Yeah. And he would be considered one of the top players in English football, if not European football, one of the top defenders. Because Pep would have made him better and Pep would have coached him, you know, coached some of his, his flaws out of him. Um, and he just hasn't had that level of coaching. And I think as a player, you, you kind of don't want to disappoint Pep. You want to come in and you want to learn from him and you want to improve and that's something that he, he has going for him. And also, you know, we saw last season um, City 2-0 down at half-time to Spurs, come roaring back to win 4-2. Everyone leaves the ground delighted. Uh, season's back on track. Title race is back on track. You know, everyone's buzzing. Guardiola goes in the dressing room, gives him a massive bollocking, then goes in front of the media, gives him another ba- massive bollocking. That speaks to the standards that he feels that he deserves as a coach and he won't let those slip. You know, if he's going to bollock his players at a moment like that, then, uh, you know, imagine what he's saying to them when they're, when they're playing shit and losing games. So I think he's just going to keep trying to use the kind of motivational techniques throughout the season. Um, I think he does, does it every season and uh, yeah, hopefully the players can, I've got the energy to go again. Cause that's, that's the thing that could hold them back this season for me more than sort of uh, the mentality, probably the physical aspects might be difficult to keep, keep going again. 
Yeah. God, imagine the pressure. You've just played one of the best games you've ever played and he comes up, you go into him and he's just saying, you know what, you could do this, this and this better. And you're just yeah. like, mate, come on. That's <laughs> like, Dan, if there's any reason why you didn't make it as a professional football, that's one of mine. I couldn't take the criticism. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, do you remember it's- having a go at Sterling after the, uh, was it, we won the trophy, but was it the FA Cup final when he was like bollocking Sterling on the pitch about something? <laughs> yeah. You just think, give it a rest, mate. But that's why he's the greatest. Yeah. I yeah. think players appreciate that as well. I mean, if someone's constantly telling you how you how you can improve, how he can help you improve, and you know that every time he's done that in the past, he's been right. Because players talk about it, don't they? Like there's almost a kind of psychic um, prediction to the to his tactical nous. He says, this is going to happen. Um, you're going to do this. We're going to move the ball out there. You're going to make this run, and then we will score. And you know, I can't remember the exact example, but I'm sure you've heard similar interviews. It's not just one player that said that. And he he makes things so meticulous that he knows how the shape is going to change when the ball's in a particular area, and we've just had a turnover or what have you. And he he predicts how goals will happen, and it happens. So when even if he does drag you to one side after you've just won the FA Cup final and says. By the way, if you do this, this, and this, you're going to get even better. You're going to stop what you're doing and listen. And I remember Raheem was kind of <laughs> kind of froze in the action of I'm going over here, and he just stopped and listened and nodded and nodded and nodded. And he's like tapping his foot a little bit, nodding, nodding. But they all take it on board, and you know that when you're coming into the club as well, what he's like. So yeah. you're not you're not coming on board thinking it's going to be an easy ride. You're coming on board, you know. You want the challenge, lips, yeah. Relishing yeah. that challenge, yeah. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Right, so it's time to have a look now at uh, the Community Shield on Sunday. And we welcome back to the show at this point, Arsenal fan Michael Kashani. Hi, how's it going? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Um, I mean, we kind of have to start with uh, the elephant in the room of uh, kind of how things went last season before we get into this season. Um, now that you've had the summer and now that uh, now that obviously um, you, you're preparing for the new season, uh, how, are you, how are you reflecting on last year? I mean, overall, it's... Success feels like a very loaded word, but it was definitely a huge positive right up until mid-April. Um, and, you know, then that's what about 80% of a season. You've got to take that in your stride and look forward. And, you know, we've got we've clearly got something, something good going. There's a lot of room to progress. It's quite a young team. And so, yeah, the general feeling is much more about optimism than any despondency about how last year ended. Yeah. Um, how's pre-season gone for you? I haven't watched any of it. I use that as my time to, to tune out, but I've then because I'm still an addict, I still read all about it. Um, <laughs> it's, it seems it seems fairly mixed. It seems like he, so last year we basically only had one way of playing, which is part of why we came unstuck at the end. Um, and it was all about having the same eleven all the time and doing the same stuff. And if one piece fell out, as or a few important pieces fell out, then we completely fell apart. So I think he's trying to introduce a lot more variety. But obviously, as you lot have seen, that variety can take a little bit of time. And to to bring in something just slightly different, and to make the team have these multiple ways of playing, which I think will pay off quite a lot. But I think we'll have we'll have a bit of a patchy start to the season. Yeah, um, and before we get to to this game in particular, um, what are you what are you kind of hoping for this season? Because I, I guess after last season, you can't be uh, I, I, you, you can never. I always find it hard as a as a City fan these days to go into a season and say um, I hope we win the title. But as a team that hasn't won the title for for twenty odd years, you kind of yeah. like, kind of I kind of wonder if the expectations are slightly different. I mean, in, in that sense, it's I think it's more of the same, really, just a slightly different ending. Just the whole thing of 
be you know be as good as we were. I want to see progress, and I want to make a real run at the title and at least one of the other proper competitions because we didn't have the squad last year to go to go further and um well at least not in the well the in the Europa League because that would have taken too much out. I would have liked to have gone further in the FA Cup, but obviously we met you lot pretty early, which wasn't ideal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I want I want proper across the board competing, and like as much as you know, we all want trophies. I think if we, you know, there's another season of second and proper impressive runs, you can live with it. Like it's not what I want, but I want to see that progress. That means that we're we're properly competing again. Yeah. Um, so just focusing on the game then, uh, Chris, I'll come to you first for from a, a city point of view. Um, what sort of team are you hoping for this year? Because it's the last few seasons, City have had players away. They've had international duty and they've had, you know, a, a, a kind of truncated pre-season with players arriving late. This year, it feels like the first time in a long time that they've actually got a full squad going into this game. Well, you say a full squad. <laughs> I mean, a fu- <laughs> it's a full squad of players we have left from the uh, the previous rather fuller squad. Um I suppose the broader question of what sort of team do I want to see going into the season is one that learns quickly and is very adaptable. Um, I'm not too fussed about the Charity Shield because we have a habit of performing badly in that and then learning from it. Um, But it's just been such a weird situation. I don't really know whether this is our squad that we see, you know, that we see before us at the moment. Are we going to add to it? Are we going to lose from it? Which seems more likely than adding to it at this stage. Um, we've brought in Kovacic and Guardiol and we've lost some really, really key players. There's a lot kind of... As things stand, there's a lot expected of some of the younger players who have recently come through into the team and some who are on the fringes and uh, wanting to. So, yeah. I suppose part of evolution is uh, the the ones best able to adapt, survive. So hopefully we can do that. So what you want is to survive. That's the uh, that, that's the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, the bare minimum is not getting relegated. Yes, <laughs> you've yeah. you've got me there. That is yeah. that is still the mentality in my uh, so <laughs> the id. Yeah, uh, Dan. Uh, Chris mentioned the youngsters there. Um, City have lost the last last few Community Shields with a squad of of youngsters. Um, I'm wondering if it'll be slightly different this year with with a few more players available. If if we'll see a stronger team, um, but also of the of the youngsters that played in preseason, there's there's kind of a couple of opportunities there. Maybe I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I think people have been impressed by what they've seen from James McAtee and Oscar Bob in preseason. I think it's a chance for. Cole Palmer, who's been talked about as maybe going out on loan or maybe leaving permanently this summer, a chance for him, you know, especially with Mara's going to maybe um, make a make a case for himself in this game. I wouldn't expect any of those three three players to start this game. To be honest, I think we're probably looking at kind of a similar starting lineup to the one that played against Atletico Madrid in the last um, preseason friendly, and. A kind of Premier you know, League starting lineup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I've I've pretty much thoroughly unplugged from things over the summer as well. But yeah, I was going to ask too- actually. Watched them all. I've had so much time on my hands that I've actually watched all three of the preseason friendlies, oh, and yeah. I was impressed by the kind of level of sharpness in the first half of that Atletico Madrid game. They looked really on it. They looked like they were, you know 
going to hit the ground running this season. And then obviously Pep made 10 changes at half time or whatever it was, and it all fell apart in the second half, really. But yeah, from what I saw in that game, they looked good. It, I suppose there's sort of question marks over is Laporte going to play? Because, you know, whether it looks like he's going to be going out the door at some point. Um, Kyle Walker is another one who keeps playing in preseason, keeps captaining the team, despite the fact he's moments away from departure, it seems. So. I don't know if Nathan Ake is fit enough to come back in. Maybe a Kanji comes back in, but I'd want to see a similar kind of starting lineup to the one that's going to play at Burnley next week. Really? Yeah. Um, can we tell listeners why why you've had a lot of time on your hands? <laughs> well, yeah, I, bro- I broke I fell off my bike and broke my arm about a month ago, so I was uh, signed off work and uh, I've been uh, high as a kite on pain meds. Yeah, <laughs> high as a kite on pain meds and watching City. Uh, pre-season games which I wasn't that high that I found those enjoyable though to be honest good good there's, there's, I, I like to like to, at least you get your feet on the ground for something at least <laughs> yeah. um uh, Cash for for um for Arsenal going into this one uh what sort of shape is the is the squad in at the moment are you expecting to see I mean there's been a couple of new signings are you expecting to see them kind of thrown in there and into the into a new setup I mean yeah I'd expect so so we had um we had a pre-season game last night where it was a very sort of he was messing around with the team a lot. He's sort of looking at this formula, trying to rotate in this guy, that guy. Um, Gabriel Jesus is out for a few weeks, which is a very not ideal way to start things off. Um, so he won't play. But yeah, I'm expecting that he'll want to go in with a pretty set team, the kind of thing that we'll expect to see in the first week of the season. Chris, for for City and, and going into this one, and uh, you know, given what we were saying about uh, pre-season earlier in the show, um how important is the result for this one compared to to previous years? You said before, but like City have a habit of uh, of not doing very well in this game, and then you know doing well in the season. Is that you know we heard Grealish has been talking about how he's never won the Community Shield and wants to win it, and that sort of level of hunger. Um, do you think there is a little bit more importance on the result this time around, given the players that City will have available? Well, it's uh, it's good for everyone to get. A trophy on the first, you know, the opening day. If we are playing a load of youngsters and they do that, then yeah, it's even better for them in terms of morale. Personally speaking, from a fan point of view, I'm not um, overly concerned about um, a one-off game for a trophy that doesn't mean an awful lot. I'm more concerned about how we play, um, lack of injuries, you know, how cohesive we're looking. It's going to be a real shame if we play some big players that then leave because um, even if we win well, what was the point in that you've got <laughs> you know if, it doesn't really help the team in the long term and this this trophy uh, which sounds sort of trite of me but it's not really of a massive concern um, in the grand scheme of things yeah. so performance over over result for me I would say could, could get Joao Cancelo a, a, a final leaving present I don't know Dan maybe <laughs> Uh, hopefully not, no. Uh, hopefully he doesn't play any part in it. Well, apparently he's close to joining Barcelona, isn't he, is the latest rumour. So it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't travel this weekend. Yeah. On Moneybags Barca, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Cash, uh, the other the other side of this from uh, from an Arsenal point of view is, um, I guess there's there's kind of the opportunity to get one over on City. And it's like, it's I, again, don't want to kind of... Well, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do want to gloat a little bit about last season. Um, <laughs> there's, there's the opportunity to to kind of lay a marker down where you look at, at the three games that we played last season. Going into them as a City fan, I just sat there and said, I'd be surprised if we beat Arsenal in all three. And then by the end of the season, when we'd won two and we're going into that, into that third game, I was supremely confident with the way that both teams were playing. 
there's there's almost the chance of, uh, of or, or almost the opportunity here for for uh, Arteta to go. You know what? We're not we're not a busted flush. We are going to be on your on your toes again this season. Yeah, I think that will be in his head definitely, and uh, it's one of those things. It's it's inc- it's almost quite stupid to attach that to the Community Shield. But with the first two games, they were both ones that could have gone either way. City had the edge, and then obviously the third was just a complete washout. But that'll be in his head. He, I think he wants to. He's very big on showing that we're serious. That we're here to be taken seriously. Um, which you know you can write your own jokes about. But it's it, yeah. I think he'll really want at least that marker of a win against City as a reference point as well for the team. So when it does come to, I think the first game's in October, and then whenever the other one is, probably February or March. Then we have that. It was like, all right, we we can beat this lot. This lot can be beaten, and and yeah, and then move from there, and that be our base point. Yeah. So, what are you expecting for uh, this season? Kind of overall aims and objectives. I think another another proper run at the title is what I want. I think, like I said, we'll have a bit of a patchy start. I think we'll try and seek some inspiration from your lot last year, where obviously first half of the year was broadly good, but bits to improve upon, a little bit lacking in in the small details and then for everything to just be ready from January and to go on some kind of run. And obviously setting city as the benchmark is, is an idiot's game, but I think that, I mean, he's a, he's a high, uh, I'll is a high aiming guy. So that'll be very much in his head. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, as I said before, I just want proper challenging over the course of all the competitions. And like, it's very, as, as you lot have said, like city squad is very difficult to know. Like there's going to be, seemingly going to be a few more outgoings no rumours on incomings that I've seen apart from Guardiola you'd assume there's some kind of plan and they know what they're doing but it, it I mean famous last words but it does feel a little bit less like the, the Terminator team than it was last year because partly because Gundogan's gone and when it comes to April obviously everyone knows he just changes into God <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, um, Dan. What about what about you for for this game? What are you expecting in terms of uh, of a of a matchup? Because um, I, I, what I was kind of getting at there with Cash is that I I suspect Arsenal are going to be uh, really up for it and really kind of pushing to to lay a marker down. And I wonder how much City will respond to that because there's almost a case of yeah they 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 might see this as low priority, but there's there's almost a case of you know like back in your box. You got to know your place. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a chance to to put a marker down for us for sure. And I, you know, you mentioned Grealish said that he really wants to win it. I think Pep's been uh, quite publicly fuming in the past when City haven't turned up for the Community Shield and haven't put a good performance in and have lost it. You know, it's been a little while since we've won it now. And you know, the uh, the septuple is up for grabs this season, isn't it? For <laughs> us. So if, if you're going to include the uh, Community Shield in that, so it's uh, you know first trophy of the season. My my philosophy on the Community Shield is always the same. It's if we win it. Lovely. If not, I'm not that bothered really. But I think the players, you know, have a lot of professional pride uh, here, and they want to really find some form um, before the start of the season. And it's it's an interesting, it's been an interesting preseason because you know in the past few years we've sort of had an international tournament to co- contend with over the summer. You've had players coming back late. That's explained the, the strange team selection in these Community Shield games. Now, even though it feels like the Champions League final was two weeks ago. The whole squad are there and ready to go, and it's it's a chance for everyone to, to show Pep what they can do, and um, yeah, hopefully put in a good performance and get a res- good result. Yeah, Chris, do you think we'll get a bit of an idea of how Guardiola will set up long term for this season? Um, because he keeps it throughout preseason, he kept trying uh, Kyle Walker as an overlapping fullback. Now, obviously, there's the question mark of whether Walker's going to be an option later in the season, but it 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 kind of gives him the opportunity to play against a side that is you know going to be up there and going to be challenging. And just try a few things out. Potentially, but again, it does come back to the 
the, the sort of skewing of the whole situation. If you've got a couple of systems where you want to use utilize Kyle Walker because of his attributes, if Kyle Walker goes, you can't necessarily just slot in Rico Lewis there. Yeah, uh, I mean. That's probably the worst example I could have picked because generally speaking, you probably <laughs> you can. Do, can. Yeah. <laughs> but, do you know what I mean? Not to the same extent. And he, I don't think he'd um, risk risk him in certain situations where he would with Walker um, in terms of the player's development and in terms of the sort of, well, just the risk he's, the risk he's, willing, the risk he's willing to take in, in certain games. It's it's totally up in there. I'd, I'd love to give um, an answer that I felt confident in on these sorts of questions, but it's been such a weird window. We're in such a sort of... And my question is also, like, like effectively, simply predict what Guardiola's going to do. Is, like, it's, not, yeah. it's, not, it's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a bad ball to receive, though, isn't it? Well, it's yeah, it's like, bad. well, do you think this formation is going to uh, influence the formation he picks next week? I don't know. Don't ask me about the whole season, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. I just, I want some, I want some kind of resolution to all these um, loose ends, even if it's yes, they're definitely gone. At least you know then. It's just yeah. this uncertainty um, which is hanging over us, which is kind of a bit of a pain in the uh, posterior. Yeah. Um, same question for you, Cash. If you swap out the word Guardiola for Arteta, are we going to get a few clues of to, to what he'll do for the season? I, I would. I would imagine so. I think, he's, as I said, he's trying to make it a bit weirder. He's trying to make make us more variable, and I think we'll see the stuff. I think what we'll probably see on Sunday is the stuff that won't work for now. So stuff that we're trying to integrate two thirds of a new midfield at once. So probably if if everyone's fit, I'd imagine it's Rice at the base, then Havertz and Odegaard, and that is that's a big change from the setup of last year. Obviously, two different personnel. Like it, I think we'll we'll see that, and he's going to try try and make it work in the low stakes moments, like a Community Shield. Yeah. Uh, while also still wanting to win because they're all very good players. Yeah, um, but totally yeah, forgot you signed Kai Havertz as well. That was a mm, that, 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 that that name took me by surprise when you said it. Then. It still feels a bit strange, but it is one of those because where you just have to sort of trust the judgment of the the people who are you know doing all the proper scouting and all that because he's not someone who I would have signed, especially not for midfield. But they clearly want him and what he has, and he's you know he does offer a lot. Um, and so yeah, maybe that's they want they want his specific quality. So there's clearly a plan for him. But they just have to make sure that it comes together properly. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm watching everything, or I will be watching everything he does quite interestedly. Yeah, that's even a word. Yeah, we intrigue. Um, it is now. <laughs> you could be the first citation. That's what that, that's what you are. You're the first citation yeah. of uh, of that word in the new dictionary. Never thought this is how I go into history, but here we are. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, uh, the football returns. So does the charity bet with our aims of grandeur once again. Last season, we raised a total of £1,090 for the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. We're aiming to better that this time around. And in a world where the cost of living is still spiralling out of control and where the number of people living in poverty is growing, we're going to be supporting the group again on the charity bet this season. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles. So let's have those predictions for the first time this year. Uh, we will start with you, Chris. What are you having? I've gone for one-one in normal time, and us to win on pens, which is obviously a bit of a lottery. Yeah, uh, I know the bet only um, only allows for normal time predictions, but that's what I've gone for. Well, one-all um, one at uh, full time is thirteen to two and sixty-five pounds. If you are right, Dan, I've gone for two-one in normal time. Two-one in normal time is uh, to City, I presume. 
Yes. Yes. Uh, that's 15 to 2 and £75 if you're right. Cash, what are you having? Uh, I never predict us to win on these things, so I'm going to make a change. I'm going to say 2 0 to the Arsenal. If it comes in, it's 25 to 1 and £250 to kick us off for this season. Uh, remember, you've oh, got to be 18 or over. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and please gamble responsibly. To find out more about responsible gambling, then take a look at begambleaware.org. Um, Cash, honestly, I really don't care about the Community Shield, so I hope you're right on that one and your you net is 250 quid. Neither do I. Go do it for, do it for the people, see. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Um, thank you very much. Uh, I will wish you the best for the season, but with uh, the caveat that I hope it's uh, to a second place and it's behind City. Uh, I, I wish I'd wish you the best for the season, but I don't like to lie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Thank you very much, mate. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Now, when the kickoff time for the Community Shield was announced, there was frustration among a lot of City fans. The game was originally scheduled for 5.30pm at Wembley on Sunday, the latest the match has ever been planned for, meaning that those travelling from Manchester would be home very, very late. In response, a campaign by the 1894 group and the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group helped bring the kickoff forward by about 90 minutes. To talk about that issue and the intended boycott of the game and a screening being put on in Manchester's northern quarter, I've been speaking to Nick from the Food Bank Group and first, Dante Friend from 1894. We were approached by fans and we monitored fans on social media. And that's we kind of entered, floated the idea of a boycott probably about 24 hours after the announcement had been made. So I just want to make sure that people understand it. It's not like a group of fans, 1894, just thought one moment, let's boycott the game and then like try and coerce everybody else into it like sheep. You know, we've kind of, so when we go public with something it's normally on the back of we think public opinion is in this you know in that direction so uh and then we went on talk sport on the monday uh, the tuesday uh the game had been then put forward to four o'clock uh which was obviously you know a win of sorts uh it didn't really feel like a win and then you know as, as kind of what we did say like you know i think three o'clock would have been an ideal time for you know, all of our fans who normally go, who want to go to to go. United against City is three o'clock on a Saturday for the cup final, and both sets of fans are coming from from the north. Then there shouldn't be any reason why City Arsenal should take place any other time other than three, because the Arsenal fans have just got a very short journey. We were surprised by the reaction towards the food bank. We thought, well, this is this is good. You know, we might get a few hundred quid. Actually, it was really, really people were saying, I'm not going to go to the game and I am going to donate my money to, to this cause. It's a, you know, we want to make a point here and rather help people, um, you know, what really need the help. And the comments, it wasn't just the, the donations. If you look at the, the, um, the comments, which were also, first of all, very favorable about the food banks, but also scathing about the scheduling and the FA, and it, and I think there was a bit of convincing to do with the, the fans out there that weren't City fans, these kind of Liverpool fans and Arsenal fans who were kind of saying, well, you're not going to sell out your end anyway, that's why you carried it on. It's simply not the case. A lot of people in our group who have like, done a lot of um, campaigning on fun issues over many, many years, and there shouldn't be any doubt in the convictions of why people wanted to do that. Like I say, it would be easy just to say, oh yeah, we've got four o'clock, but I think the fact that 
80% of the normal season ticket holders that would have gone to that game still boycotted the game. I know we've sold out, but there's, a lot of, there's about 15,000 of the season ticket holders that would normally go aren't going. As you know, the uh, tickets went on sale and um, they really had to come up with some sort of bizarre criteria. Um, you know, the tickets were basically on general sale from 1pm on the third day, which is where the uplift came. We sold 3,500 tickets in two days and then we sold twenty five to 26,000 tickets on day three. And it's simply this criteria they, they came up with, which was anybody can have tickets. So, yeah, so you get the full end and it will look good on TV. And I'm pleased for the players uh, that they play in front of the fans. However, it doesn't solve the, the problem. We've had probably about 95 to 98% of, of fans be very positive. You know, you got us the move in terms of the time. We do appreciate that. And, um, but, you know, four o'clock when that game ends, people have still got to get home at silly o'clock. And, you know, I, I just wonder... You know, at six o'clock, everyone's got that, that that game's over. We've all got to get home, sort of thing. Well, let's let's bring Nick in because Nick, um, for for the food bank group, um, the as Dante says, the response has been has been fantastic from from City fans. Um, what what has this meant for you guys? Yeah, I mean, just straight from the off, the the fundraiser, considering it's been been going for about a. Uh, a month, uh, five weeks, something like that. Um, it's it's just under ten thousand um, pounds, which is absolutely, you know, we couldn't we couldn't have imagined it was going to be that. Um, we, we've, we've spoken to uh, the feed bank, Manchester Central Feed Bank, where it's going to go to. We visited them um, a couple of times in the past month, and they've already said that the amount has covered their food purchases for the entire summer, which is incredible. You know, summer's a time when they, you know, they don't tend to get donations and things like that. And obviously, our collections outside match days aren't going up because we're not playing. Um, so, so it's huge. It's big. That 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 amount is is a huge. It's going to be a huge difference to the, how well they, they can they can support families and people struggling in Manchester at the moment. It, it, this is, you know, this has been an issue for years and years now. This, which is why we set ourselves up. Um, and the fact that. Even on the off-season, when we're not doing our collections outside the games, City fans can still come together and make a massive, massive difference in our local communities. It's a real testament to how community-minded the support is. The Food Bank guys, I mean, they've actually played a massive part. It's not like, you know, we've been... We've got a big um, social media reach, but at the same time, uh, Nick and others on the uh, Food Bank Twitter feed... We're in a constant battle for about 10 days with fans of all different clubs who kind of simply didn't understand uh, that you know, Manchester City have real fans who actually have a social conscience and a moral compass. And actually, you know, Nick, every time Nick made a, a moral argument you know, about the game and won people over, you could see the, the donations rising. Uh, and, you know, so they deserve every single penny uh, of this, you know, it is, they actually had to do a lot of work where we weren't answering people back on our Twitter feed. It was all being done on the on the MCFC Food Bank Twitter feed. So they, they absolutely deserve every penny. And I think they've won over people. I think people realise what a, 
what an important role they play. I mean, even even this issue as well. It's not it's not specific to City fans, is this? Is it? This is this is something that is that that is important for all fans of all groups, and it's not just raising money for for local things like the uh, like the food banks in those communities. It is kickoff times for both for for all fans as well, isn't it? This is it. This is um. It is absolutely not a city issue at all. This has been an issue that's been affecting supporters in this country increasingly at an exponential rate over the past 20 odd years, arguably longer. Um, this is us now, you know, Dante said before, depending on how the league and cup go next year, this could be Newcastle and Liverpool fans being asked to travel 300, 400, well, more miles, sorry for Newcastle, down to Wembley um, because we're getting kickoff times dictated to us by TV companies um, it's ITV this time, but we've just heard. Is it um, Sunday? We're going to have Sunday seven PM kickoffs next season for the first this season for the first time ever. They, 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 honestly, they, they, this is a it's a joke. You know, we, we've we met with some fan groups from across Europe uh, earlier in summer, and um, we met with a fellow from Germany who um, was part of a group that was successful in campaigning to ban Monday night football in the Bundesliga. I mean, I know we're a bit of a way off that, but imagine what a massive uh, win that has been for, for German supporters if we had Saturday 3pms back again the, the way it was you know we can plan our weekends around that you know we can actually still have more of a social life around losing a Sunday night a Saturday night now which we're going we're gonna to start getting more of as well Friday nights against Burnley don't get me wrong a couple of people enjoy the away days but this is for the vast majority of match going fans it's an added expense at a time when people can't really afford these things and so it's brilliant to have support from other clubs. Yeah, we have to battle a little bit. You know, people love slagging City fans off on Twitter. <laughs> but um, once you actually cut through the initial stupid insults and stuff, people are actually like, ah, nah, right, you, you've got a point and this is it. If we bring more football fans together on this, then we'll have wins. And at the screening, we've got, we've actually just, I just found out yesterday that uh, the fans supporting food banks, the the Evertonians and Liverpool fans will be coming down with their big bus <laughs> and making a donation and showing support for the boycott as well, which is fantastic. I think it will become an issue. So next season, I think it's 24-25 where these Sunday 12 and Sunday 7pm games come in. And we were, and people were telling us, some people were saying to us, you know, I totally agree with it, but maybe it's the wrong game to do it. Obviously, the wrong game to do it would be yeah, they make it open sale quite easy and that's what they're going to probably do with all the league games now as well. I think the Burnley, the Sheffield United game has gone like very quick to, you know, you've got three hours to, to buy your ticket and it goes to the next the next big banding sort of thing. Um, this is what they'll do. They know we've got a, a growing fan base and they can fill it with other people. So uh, newer fans, you know, don't get wrong, people are probably desperate to go and see see, see the club, but obviously they, they if some people who go everywhere where are unhappy, the club know, know now they can tap into uh, fans who are on the waiting list and they may also um, fill those seats for them. So challenge for us is to make these issues really relevant to people who are going now and again, as well as the people who are going kind of regular. We've got quite a good relationship with kind of the core fan base, but what we need to do is sort of reach out to those people who uh, maybe watch a lot of the games on TV. There's so many aspects of this, and you're always going to get a percentage of the people who have a 20-year record who don't want to miss a game and, you know, will support the principle of it. Like, everybody's even bought a ticket for our end. I'm sure they all support the principle of a protest that something needs to be done. 
But, you know, cities, people have miserable lives and people want to go and watch the team that's just won the treble. So, City, that team brings us so much joy that, you know, it's a hard thing for you to, 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 to not go to the game. And some people feel it's like you turn your back on a club and they've not turned their back on all sort of things. So, these are all these things that it's, it's so hard. How we've got to maybe make a line in the sand and start somewhere. And, and I think the take from it is yes, it looks like it's a full house. However, it needed um, citizens and non regular uh, non regular supporters to fill that end. And we don't know who's who in that end on Sunday. So, Dante, tell us about uh, the event at uh, Band on the Wall on the weekend. Yeah, this has come about from one of our members who's involved in the um, kind of hospitality trade and then uh, made an instruction to Band on the Wall for us. So, we've not used this venue before. Uh, so, we've got 500 fans going. Uh, the capacity is 630, but we've limited it just over 500 because otherwise it gets a bit clammy. Uh, and half of the profits for the ticket sales are going to MCFC Food Bank. So, again, that should be another grand plus um in the bag there's also the opportunity for people to bring along um donations if you are coming please bring a bag or some tins there will be capacity to store it um which will be helpful and we're probably going to do some sort of a raffle you know some 50 50 bingo thing as well so there might be you know might be a little a, a good little kind of closeness uh food bank fundraiser off we could get maybe another maybe another 1500 over the weekend, which would be absolutely amazing because we do have to um, we, do, we do have to think about the price of food and if people can buy the food early, it would be great. Um, it does open at 2, uh, closes at 7, uh, so come early, there'll be food on. It's pub prices, so it's £5.50, £6 a pint. Um, uh, there's a lot of choice of booze. They're going to be playing Manchester music, um, so stuff from the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, and modern uh, well, not so much modern, but you know, um, Ma- not just Manchester, but you know, good music from 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 all over the uh, decades. And obviously, then um, there's no kind of ex players, there's no kind of big celebrities there. It's just a group of fans who want to get together, and watch the game, and then obviously, hopefully, there'll be like uh, some some prizes, some, some raffle things after the game. Um, and I think it's going to be really positive and. We're going to miss the game, but we are going to be getting home at 7, 8 o'clock at night, which is a bonus when people are going to be stuck at um, Watford Gap Services or whatever. So <laughs> this will be home. That's the first time we've ever that we've worked with 1894 Group on, on behalf of the Food Bank, and it's, it's, been, it's been a brilliant experience, and I can't, I can't wait for Sunday. It's going to be absolutely amazing um, to, to have that many players there watching the game in an iconic Manchester venue, raising so much more funds than I mean we'll have raised more funds than we already did in the entirety of last season <laughs> for this which is incredible and then we've got the first game first collection a couple of weeks later I think it's Newcastle at home isn't it so yeah we look forward to seeing every everyone there familiar faces at our collections next season This is the Blue Moon Podcast listen to it drink it in
Nick from the Man City Fans Food Bank Support and Dante from 1894 talking us through this weekend's boycott and the screening going on in the Northern Quarter. As Dante says, tickets are now sold out to the screening at Band on the Wall, but you could still be there. We've got two tickets that you could win and you could be watching the Community Shield with hundreds of other City fans at the venue in the Northern Quarter. If you want to be in with a chance of winning, all you've got to do is email your full name and your phone number to us. Bluemoonpodcast at gmail.com is the way to do it that's blue moon podcast at gmail.com you need to get your entries in before midday uk time on saturday that's saturday the 5th of august and if you're the lucky winner whose name is selected at random the organizers will be in touch with your tickets to the screening so remember that's your name and your phone number to blue moon podcast at gmail.com all entries need to be received before midday uk time on saturday the 5th of august now it's time to finish this week with some audience questions get them in on twitter at blue moon podcast you can email through the website as well bloomingpodcast.com fill in the form you know the drill uh, David on Twitter says uh, could you discuss the ticket price increase for next season it's now over £70 for category A games on the third tier that's what you'll be paying for Champions League knockout games as well next season um, here's how the system works all games are now on sale to match day and junior members who have attended five or more home fixtures at the Etihad over the last two seasons uh, tickets are also limited to one per qualifying supporter um, and I had a quick look at this because obviously as a, as a season ticket holder I didn't realise that this was the this was the case um, but it seems that tickets are now available for all of City's home games and uh, Chris I'm just wondering I that it almost kind of closes the door that on a lot of fans when because you can't you can't make plans for games that are coming months in advance, can you? Yeah, I know what you mean. Apparently, it's been like this for more than just this season. Um, we were chatting about this in a WhatsApp group, and um, but regardless of how many how long it's been going on, the question is the same. <clears throat> if you're making them all available at the start of the season, you know you can't necessarily. Make make those plans. It's it's not even just that. Just the price of it. I mean, I've I've ranted on here before about the cost of the price. uh, Yeah, yeah. When when is it going to be? When is it going to be too much? Hmm. I mean, if they put it up to two hundred quid for like the highest category game, and there's still people buying it, or you know, is that does that justify the price? I mean. It's just absolutely nuts. Um, I, I guess it kind of speaks into that. I mean, we we're talking about the success commercially of the tour before. Um, mm. I, I guess it kind of speaks into that. You know, if, if your regulars are not buying those tickets because well, it's there too is, much for them, other people will come along and take them now. That vacuum will soon be filled. And there's people, um, due to the state of this country, there's um, more affluent countries with plenty of city fans that will easily be able to not only snap those ticket up, tickets up, but fly in for a, a weekend and and come and see their team. And that is the way it is. And it doesn't seem fair on on the sort of local, um, perhaps less affluent fans. And that's mm. because uh, it probably isn't. Yeah. Look at the Community Shield this weekend. I mean, you know, this the lads have organised this boycott that's been really widely supported, and yet mm. we've still sold out the allocation. Only City could sell out an allocation for a boycotted game, couldn't they? But <laughs> true, that's the true. Way, That's this weird, like, th- this situation we're in as a club now where supply has met demand, which worries me a little bit. Because, like you say, like, you know, if, if people were to turn their nose up at £70, which is, you know, a ridiculous amount of money for 90 minutes of not even guaranteed the entertainment and, mm. and not go to the game, someone will take that ticket now. The days of empty hard are, are a thing of the past, I think. Mm. So it's a shame, really, that it's come to this and that 
we don't really seem to have much recourse to support us. Even even if you boycott the game, the powers that be don't really care because that seat is still going to be filled. Yeah, I mean, I was I was going to ask Dan because um, me and Chris have season tickets, but for yourself, have, have you still got your season ticket? Because you live abroad now. No, I, I, my mum and dad both have season tickets, and one of them very kindly gives up their tickets yeah. when, when so, I want to go to a game. Usually, but I mean, because I mean, the point I was going to get at is that you've now got even less of a guarantee that you're going to be able to get a ticket for, like, if you decided in, you know, in April that you wanted to come to a to one of the games there, and you, you know, you're off work, you can fly home. You can't just go on the website and buy a ticket in the weeks leading no. up to it because they they'll have been on general sale a lot earlier. No, no, uh, it's yeah, it's quite annoying and quite difficult to get tickets nowadays. Long gone are the days when uh, Stuart Pearce was in charge and you could walk up and pay on the gate, you know, on the day, and there'd be still thousands of empty seats in the stadium. It's um, yeah, it's just you know, I've I've, I've been to see uh, my physiotherapist today here in Germany, and he was telling me about how Erling Haaland I really want to go to a Manchester City game so I can see him playing playing the flesh. Like we've we've got that caliber of player now, that kind of superstar player that's kind of worth the admission fee on his own. That people who aren't even City fans will be going to the stadium to, to watch. So. We've never been more popular. Um, what did you probably... say? Well, his, his link-up player isn't that good. He needs to improve. <laughs> I, did, yeah. he's... I said, I think you'll find he's crap, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems to have been, like we've said, the the, the void that's been left by perhaps the, the people that have in, would have initially bought those tickets has been easily filled by people um, perhaps, you know, who, who wouldn't have ordinarily got them, but... If if one thing has come out of it, um, in terms of it being a successful boycott, we've made we've made a point. Um, they did move the, the kickoff time, although not um, as much as we would have liked, i.e., to, to a Saturday at a reasonable time. Um, the the club also, in response to the boycott, because you know a lot of people were saying they weren't going to do it, and it didn't sell out straight away. The club changed the criteria, didn't they? So people could buy multiple tickets because there was a bit of um, aggro online where people were saying, oh, you shouldn't go. Uh, You should stand with the people who are trying to make the point and boycott it. And people who were going were saying, well, they've made it now so I can buy, was it four tickets? One person could buy four four tickets. Which is very much in response to try and make it sell out in response to the boycott. And, the reason that has worked is because people were able to do that, whereas they previously wouldn't have been able to take the whole family who have maybe never been to Wembley before. So at least it's made made the club make some changes. It's going to be an incremental thing, isn't it? You're not going to create wholesale changes overnight. They were talking in the um, the audio there about clubs in Germany um, campaigning to get rid of Monday night games. Um, and we're now this season going to have games kicking off at seven o'clock on a on a Sunday. I mean that is just mm. that is just wrong. That's just disruptive to people's lives. It's just not on that. Do you know what I mean? If I'm trying to get ready for the working week and I'm just popping out for three hours, you know, round trip or whatever it is, at least to go and see City, and then I'm getting home at like half ten, and like, what? Wow, it's, it's just. No one's forcing you to go, Chris. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this is it. This is it. This is the sort of argument you're going to get, this sort of banal, mm. like, ridiculous responses from uh, the tribal um, 
elements and uh, the worst of that is we don't even know like I, I can't tell you the last time that uh, the TV fixtures were announced on time as well they, uh, <laughs> it's usually that you usually there's a deadline for which they're supposed to tell fans when the games are going to be and mm. I think pretty much every single one of them in the last few years has been missed so yeah. it's uh, it, it may, just makes it, it it makes it harder and harder and harder to plan your time and your adult life because like we all have adult lives we all have like, like things we have to do um, it just makes it really difficult to, to plan around when uh, when you're going to go and watch the football. Well, we certainly know where we stand, don't we? Yeah. And uh, that brings us to an end for our first Blue Moon podcast of the new season. The Patreon bonus shows will start again from Monday as we gear up for the brand new campaign. Uh, thank you very much for listening this week, and thank you also to my guests, Dan Burke. Always a pleasure. And Chris Higginbottom. A pleasure again, yes, thank you. We'll see you next week. Take care. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>